So these guys are on the road this morning, um, and I, I, I think someone has to correct me wrong about their uh, correct me about uh, their agenda. When do they actually start on their bike ride? It is, is today, right? This morning. They're 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 going to be going. And if you guys don't know uh, this crew, a lot of these guys are from our church. Uh, Steve uh, Martin is right there. Um, has been uh, just taking this. He was diagnosed with both MS and then Parkinson's, kind of back-to-back, and uh, just taking a lot of the challenges that God has thrown at his life and turning it right back around and giving it to the praise of God. Uh, This last Wednesday, um, we were um, doing kind of a celebration and a prayer, uh, you know, kind of a send-off with him. And uh, one guy that I didn't know from out of state just came, and, and we were talking about it, and he said, um, God has used this in my life to address some things I needed to address in my own spiritual walk. Uh, Steve is impacting me. And just to hear from people that I didn't even know about what God is doing through this. But I want to lift these guys up. They're going to be on the road most of this week, um, going from the north, for going from New Mexico all the way to Wyoming. And uh, something that we decided to do is we have one of their jerseys. Steve doesn't know this, but we have one of their jerseys. And um, this is going to be in the back for you, but we're signing both sides of the jersey. You might need to get creative with where you sign because we're going to fill this thing up. And we have a nice frame to put this in. And we're going to kind of present this to him at the uh, the finish line. That There is a plaque at the bottom of it that reads that we're with you, Steve, with the Metal Art Church. And so this will be in the back. I really want to encourage you to sign it. Um, please, no long messages <laughs> on it. We just need your name. Um, but I really want to do that and encourage uh, and encourage Steve. So let's lift up their ride, and then uh, we'll, get, we'll get right into to our text this morning. Uh, Father, I just want to lift up to you um, just one of our worship leaders. Uh, he leads us in worship and song, but and God, he's just been leading my heart and a lot of our hearts in worship and in life, and I just uh, I praise you for the inspiration right now, and I just ask for safety on the road for all of these guys, and, and, and I, I ask God that uh, not just for safety, but I pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself and, and that you'd speak not just through your beauty, through the mountains, but that you'd speak through the camaraderie that's there on this trip. And I pray that they would feel our prayers, uh, that we're not just praying for safety on the road, but, Father, that praying for you to reveal yourself in beautiful ways. I just praise you so much for the gift that Steve is uh, to our lives. Uh, it's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's go. Let's uh, Luke chapter 16. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16, kind of closing out that chapter with a, this account of the what's called the rich man and Lazarus. Um, this has been a story that has often been used to speak of the etern- eternality and the torture and what a horrible place hell must be. And I think that that's, that's uh, you know, there's probably something there. Um, but I'm not going to get distracted this morning with a lot of topics that this story might bring up. I really want to get to the heart of what I think, what is the message here? So is this a parable? Is this a true story? I, I'm not going to get into that. Is, is this about the, you know, is, is hell eternal conscious torment or is it eternal destruction? I'm not going to get into that either. I love talking about those things. But this morning I just want to talk about what is this message? So Jesus sitting down with these wealthy church leaders that he already says loved money. And they considered themselves children of Abraham. Now that's going to be really important to this story. Children of Abraham and descendants of what? The promise. 
And the promise was this, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing and you will inherit this land and this land will be yours. All of these blessings that came to Abraham, why do they identify with Abraham? Why not Moses? Why not Adam? Why not Noah? Why not um, Enoch? Why not? Well, he didn't have any kids. Um, yeah, he did. Uh, why not uh, uh, Isaac? Jacob, you could even look to Judah, Benjamin, or maybe Levi. Why not some of these guys? Abraham. Because Abraham was the recipient of the promises. And, and they wanted to be part of that promise, to be close to Abraham because we are that seed. And that has come up over and over throughout the book of Luke. We are the children of Abraham. And so these guys that loved money, Jesus has been telling these parables over and over. He keeps going to the subject of wealth. And and especially in this section, he finally hits home in in a very, very um, sobering way in this account. He says this, There was a certain rich man who dressed himself in fine linen. He lived in luxury. He lived in indulgence every day. And, and there was also a beggar named Lazarus that sat at his gate. And he was covered with painful sores. And the dogs would come along and lick his sores. And you can see this man just trying to push the dogs away. And it says he longed just for a scrap that would fall. Just a scrap that would fall from that rich man's table. And you can see him crying out what beggars used to cry out all the time. And it's a phrase that comes up throughout the Gospels and in the New Testament. Kyrieleison, Kyrieleison. And that's what the, the beggars would cry out. Eleison, Eleison. Have mercy on me. Kyrieleison. Lord, have mercy. Lord, I beg you, have mercy on me. And you can hear that. I don't know if you've lived in a place. I lived in a, in a country where I had to step over people on the sidewalk every single day on my way to, to where I worked every single day. And you could hear the voices and the same cries. Por favor, por favor, por favor. You'd see the children, their hands stuck out. And those images were with you all the time. And you can hear that curiolazon, if you could just hear those voices. And the beggar crying out, the dogs licking his sores, he's in agony. He's in pain, covered in sores at the gate. And that's all it tells us, and it just skips to the future. And the next verse just says, and it came about that the beggar died. Um, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and from hell lifted up his eyes and to see Abraham far off. But I'm a child of Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he would dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in torment in this pain. But Abraham said, son, remember that you, in your life, you received your good things. And Lazarus received evil things. But now he is comforted. And you are tormented. And besides this, 
There is a great chasm that has been fixed between us so that those of us who wish, would, would wish to go to you cannot, neither can those pass to us that would come from you. So I pray you, Father, send Lazarus the second time he begs him. Send Lazarus to my five brothers. Warn them so they don't come to this dreadful place. What? What a scripture this is. Everything up until now, Jesus has been saying, I want to lift your eyes to what's eternal. I want to lift your eyes to the future. I want to lift your eyes like where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. I want to put your heart and your mind and your eyes on something eternal, on on kingdom thinking. But now in this scripture, he's going to bring us there and give us a picture of this, what it feels like, what's going on. I want to go through this kind of just verse verse by verse, and take a look um, just at the story, beginning with this first verse. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury every day. He had it all. He had everything. And his, at his gate, now I, the, the idea of this gate is also important to me. When I think of, and I hope I'm reading this right, but... There's a door in front of my house that separates my home from that which is on the outside. Those are very wealthy communities. And so there's a gate that you are out there and we're over here. And there is a chasm, right? There is a distance between us. Probably if he were living in a time like today, he would say he would call the police and say, please have this man removed from my gate. I don't want him at my gate. I don't want to have to step over this man every day. This is something that happens today, just out of sight, out of mind. I'm not sure they could do that back then. He's at his gate. His name was Lazarus. Interesting. That name means God will help me. And and if this is a parable, and I'm not sure if it is, if this is a parable, it's very interesting that Jesus would choose that name. God will help me. He's covered with sores. He longs to eat what falls from a rich man's table. The dogs would come and lick his sores. He's living in agony and pain every day. And this rich man could do anything. He probably has abundance. He could take care of this man. He could meet his needs. He could do something. He doesn't have to split his wealth with him, but at least acknowledge this man, right? The time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now, this is where it starts getting super interesting for me. When it says his side, some of your versions say bosom. Um, what it means is his embrace. Guess, guess what? This is the same word that was used for a bay. Like if ships were going to be take, taken in safely out of the ocean, if you would come into a bay. What it means is in his embrace. So you're looking at Father Abraham. The one that all the Pharisees and all the Jews said, this is our father. We're going to be gathered to our father. And Abraham is now seen embracing him. This is Lazarus that is now close to me. And what's crazy is for this rich man, he's far off. The rich man also died was buried in hell where he lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham far away. And Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried now. He said, Father, have pity. Guess what? He uses the exact same word that the, that the beggars would cry out. Kiri, eleison. 
And now, everything has been switched. And it's no longer the beggar crying out, Eleazar. It's now the rich man begging, Eleazar, Eleazar, on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Look at what it did to switch the roles. This beggar was in pain and agony. And he longed just for a scrap from the table. And now everything has been reversed. And the rich man is in this place. So Abraham replies, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. While Lazarus, bad things. Now he's comforted here. You're in agony. And he says, there's a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who want to come from here to you cannot. Neither can they cross over from there uh, to come to us. This idea um, of standing before Abraham in the kingdom of God, I just want to give you an idea of what, how this developed in the book of Luke. And, and where this fits into the larger picture of Luke before we get further into what's going on here. In chapter 13, 28, it says, There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. In Luke 3, verse 8, he says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't begin to say for yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. And thirteen sixteen, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, been set free from the Sabbath from what bound her? Talking about a, a woman that has been crippled for 18 years, said she is a daughter of Abraham. And in chapter 19, this is going to be coming up soon, Jesus speaks to and says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Talking about Zacchaeus. This idea of the children of Abraham and looking out for what are, God, are Abraham's children really? And so the first question I wanted, uh, that came to me when I was looking at this text, and I hope I intrigue you with this. I was looking at the story and thinking, I've read this all my life. It's made me terrified of hell kind of a story. But I want to look at it again with fresh eyes and say, what's going on here? First question I have is, why Abraham? Why not God? When we're talking about heaven and hell, I'm thinking Satan and God. Why is Abraham not only the person he's gathered to, but Abraham is the spokesperson? If you read the text carefully, it's Abraham speaking. And so I'm thinking, why Abraham? The second, you know, I've got a few other questions, but first I want to address that. The promise was given to Abraham that you would be blessed. Abraham was a wealthy man. You would be blessed, but the second part of it, To be a blessing. I will bless you and you will bless others and all nations will be blessed through you and because of you. The entire point of God's blessing in Abraham's life was that it would be poured forth through him and that other lives would be blessed because of him. It was not to live in indulgence. It was not to stay put. It was to go wherever God leads you and to allow His blessing in your life to bring Him praise. To allow whatever happens in your life to bring Him praise. It says this in Genesis 12 too, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse 
and all the people of the earth uh, will be blessed through you. So the text goes on, says, um, so he answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now keep in mind, the recipients of the book of Luke were those that were already living in a time where Jesus had been raised from the dead. And I can't, I, I have to imagine there has to be a message for those that already had hard hearts and that Jesus' resurrection had not impacted them at all. What does it matter if your heart is hard? What God can do? Your heart is hard and there is nothing that's going to impact you. This is the, the message of the text. Now Jesus is hitting something that he's hitting something home that we need to hear. And that is this. This text is not saying, Americans, you sinners, live in a socialist country. You need to just spread all your wealth. That's not the point. In fact, I think the challenge here is not that difficult of a, of a challenge. He's not confronted with the poor outside of his gate. He's not, he's not confronted with having to transform society at large. He's given one person that God has invested him with at his gate. One person at his gate. One thing that I've noticed in those that are going and have been a part of our ministry down in, in the park and to those that have been really hurting is it can be something overwhelming. You can think, what can we do? What kind of impact can you make? Well, the thing is, God might not be calling you to all of it. He might be calling you to one person that God is laying at your gate. The person, maybe, that you need to be showing compassion and pouring for something in your life and making a little bit more simple. But this man, Lazarus, society saw him as trash. And that's crazy to me that that happens because it's so real today. We want to take a community of people that drugs have destroyed their lives, alcohol has wrecked their lives, health issues have destroyed them, particularly mental issues have just wreaked havoc on this community. And it's easy to just say, I don't want anything to do with this. Just put them in a place where we don't see it anymore. And I want to go to church, and I want to sing songs, and I want to dress nice, and I hope God is pleased with the way I sing and speak and dress, but I don't address His Children, listen, if I come into your home, and I've used this illustration before, if I come into your home and you invite me over for dinner, and, and I come and I bring a gift for you, thank you for inviting me to your house, here's a gift, hey, I brought dessert for you, I, I, I'm going to do what I can for you, thank you, and, and, and I just have the most pleasant conversation with you, we have a great time, and I just disrespect your kids in front of you, how did I do? Nothing else I did matters, does it? You're like, get out of my house. You don't disrespect my children. I think it's that way with worship a lot. It's that way in the Bible for sure with Jesus and the Pharisees. You come to me and you give me a tithe of dill and mint and cumin. You do all of this for me. You come and you bow your knee, you bow yourself and you bow yourself low to the ground and you disrespect my children. 
You don't show compassion to the lost sheep. You're not doing what you can for my people. And you see it come up over and over in the book of Luke where he actually says it at one point. Do you remember when Jesus says, do you see this woman? Did you even recognize that she was here? Do you see her when she's on the ground washing my feet, drying them with her hair? Did you see her? When an important man confronts him on the road and says, Lord, I need you to come to my house. There's someone I need you to heal. Jesus says, I'll be right there. And a woman comes behind him and says, this is what she's thinking, I'm sure. I don't deserve his attention. I'm just a woman. I don't deserve his attention. I'm just poor. I'm just going to brush the back of his garment and maybe I'll be healed. And Jesus turns all of his attention and all of his focus to this woman and gives her worth and gives her dignity and gives her love. Jesus did this. He gave worth to those that society gave no worth to. And he shows that your worth is not in your clothing. Your worth is not in your education. Your worth is not in any of these things. Your worth is that God created you to be unique and special and to be his child. And if you have everything else in this world, but you do not have God, you are in extreme poverty. And if you have nothing else in this world, but you have God, you are in extreme wealth. It is everything. And that is the point of this account. And this is the point of this story. Listen, um, I'm going to play a video for you in just a minute. We're going to kind of close out this message with a video. Um, Bob Bland was a great man. A great man. Um, I cannot tell you how God has worked in so many lives in this room because of that man. And it was because God, he took something God gave him, blindness, and turned it around towards God's thanksgiving and for his glory. And he used what some people would call a curse and he turned it around and lifted it up to God's praise. And he looked constantly at how to help and encourage, encourage other people. And it's a challenge to me. And I needed to talk about this this morning because Steve is now doing the exact same thing at a young age that Bob was doing. Taking something that I could get angry about and saying, I will turn this towards God's glory. I'm going to turn this to his praise. So whether it's wealth or whether it's pain or whatever it is you're given, how can I use this to bring him glory in this life? How can I use this to give him some sort of praise? Um, I want to um, play this video, and I, I, I really want to pray. Um, oh, man, I just feel like it's not there, and I, I want to pray that it would be, that somebody that needs to be impacted by this would be impacted by it. It terrifies me that Pharisees sat at Jesus' very feet and heard this very story and somehow didn't get it. I can't comprehend that. Um, when I came back and I shared with, um, shared with the youth in this, this morning, I got to teach the high school class, which I was super excited about. I can't tell you how pumped I was this morning. But to sit there would be with the high school class. 
And I got to t- talk about kind of my experience. Jamie's in the AIM program right now. Uh, just out of high school, I went to the AIM program. And I was blessed to work with the most impoverished kids I'd seen in my life, maybe still have seen in my life with the Quechua children in Quito, Ecuador. And I saw a lot of difficult things. And when I came back to the States, I worked in North Austin with relatively wealth, wealthy um, kids. And um, obviously I saw a difference. I saw a great gulf. I saw a chasm between the mentalities, these two different groups. And that time, as you know, I only had one prayer, I want you to get life. I love it that you're living for that degree. I love it that you get to go to Harvard. I love it that you have this success. I love it. But if you don't get God in your life, man, you missed out on everything. In this church, and I've shared this story with some of you before, but I think it's really important that I share it now. One time I was asked to um, get rid of somebody from the building that was in the back of our building. And it was during the week. It was a work week. We had a preschool going on. We had a lot of things happening. And they said, I mean, this guy's kind of creepy. Uh, would you get rid of the creepy guy? And Jeff is who you call on to get rid of the creepy guy. <laughs> so I went back there, and um, there's this man, and he's sweating everywhere. I mean, covered in sweat. Never seen that kind of sweat. Dripping, pouring from his beard. And he was kneeling down, doing something, fixing his backpack in our foyer. And I just came up to him and I said, "Uh, how are you doing? My name's Jeff. Um, I was trying to find a a polite way to excuse him from the building. No, I'm sorry, I missed the part. He looked at me and he said, hey, Jeff, how are you doing? He knew who I was. And that that kind of, I wasn't sure what to make of that. And I said, man, can I take you to lunch? Because I thought that was a way that I could just get him off of campus without offending him and, and take him to lunch. His name, I asked him what his name was, and he said Potter. And uh, Potter and I went to lunch together. And um, he wouldn't let me pay. He paid for the lunch. Um, And uh, he was a very tall man. Um, He looked scary to people because of his size. Maybe the color of his skin. Maybe the way he was dressed, but he looked scary. But nothing about him in his character, should have been scary. This man, true story, was homeless, ran all over northern, North Austin, miles and miles and miles to different communities to set up Bible studies with people. He did that every day. He was pouring sweat because he was running from place to place. He would run and he would have Bible studies with people and God was his life. It was everything to him. We called the police and have him removed from our building three different times. Because of the way he appeared. True story. He did nothing but study the Bible with people and pour into people's lives. But he didn't look the the right part. He didn't dress the right part. One time he asked me for, and I'm going to make the number up because it's been a long time, but it was something around $87. It was a very weird, specific number that he asked for. And I was taking him somewhere, and he said, Jeff, I need $87. And I got really nervous that he asked for cash from me. And I said, uh, I said Potter, I, I can't right now. I, 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 I don't feel comfortable with that. And he said, no worries at all. I feel bad for asking. I love you so much. And he, he was super gracious. I dropped him off, and uh, I'll get to that, back to that story. 
But every single day, and I think the Richters might remember this, I'm not sure, but every single day he would wait outside the youth classroom for me to come out because nobody in our church would talk to the man or address the man or sit with the man or walk with him. And so he waited outside the youth classroom because I was there. And I walked and sat with him every day, uh, most Sundays. And um, then it was time for us to leave and to come to Colorado. And so we were leaving the church there. That man, Potter, it's crazy his name's Potter. It's always been weird to me, like he's an angel or something. But He got up early and baked a fish and brought me a fish that he baked that morning and gave me an envelope with $87 in it. And a note that said, thank you so much. And it's one of the first times in my life I'm like, God, are there angels? Man, does that really happen? This is weird. I want to share that story with you because I've made a lot of very bad judgments about people. And looking out and just seeing people don't dress right, they don't look right and stuff, the more and more we're engaging the homeless community that's here and the more and more we're helping walls come down and look at people not through your status, not through anything else except for the eyes of Jesus Christ. Guys, that is what makes a church healthy. That's what makes a church a community. And I love the songs we sing. I love the people that are here. But what makes us the church of God is the love of God in our hearts for him and for others. That makes us the church. Um, God is asking us to do two things, and I will close. One, he wants to lift up our eyes towards eternity and live for what is eternal and not for what is present. Secondly, he wants to lift up our eyes to the people around us that people don't see, the ones that are invisible. Lift up our eyes to them and say, do you see these people? Do you see these opportunities? You stepped over him every single day at your gate looking for those opportunities. And who is your Lazarus? The one that has been laid at your gate. The one that you have been given responsibility for. God sent people like Bob Bland into our lives to lift up our eyes to something that was eternal. I want to play this video for you and then we'll uh, continue our worship. lost your sight? I was 31, 50, 54 years ago. It was 54 years ago. Uh -huh. Okay. Did, did my, how did my blindness affect my faith? Did it discourage or did it, did it, did it help and enhance? It, it did it encourage very much so. I remember either from day one, I don't know, it just, and that there again, maybe the work of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit within. From day one, when I, uh, when, you know, we'd been in the hospital for two weeks in Denver, and we have been in the hospital for a month out there in, in, in California. This goes back 54 years ago. And they told me then that there's nothing more they could do to really detach retina. And but even from that that time, I never, you know, it didn't, didn't, didn't discourage me, didn't. Oh boy, there's God. Didn't feel that God had left me at all. But on the contrary, 
I I just it just made all that much more determined that you know that that uh, God had a reason, a purpose, a place for it. I well, I had some adjusting to do, and our family had some adjusting. It took about a year, a year, a couple of years to do that, certainly. But that didn't. That my faith, and it, it certainly, I think my faith certainly is much stronger because I learned, I learned to just, uh, uh, well, I've learned to walk by faith, not by sight. <laughs> <laughs> but but I want my sight back. No, I wouldn't, because I would. I don't want to to. Uh, Try to adjust back again to uh, to a sighted life with society. And just uh, I, I found this I found this very uh, I I find being blind very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's good. Because of say because of the respect, the help, the support, the encouragement that so many many multiple multiple people give me, and you know and uh, and just and the. So the fact that God has a purpose for it, and he, uh, it's, there's a reason for it. It's the renewal of a good, right conscience, a right relationship with God. And that to me, it, and I would impress that on other particularly younger people, is our relationship with God. It changes our, it, baptism makes, makes a relationship possible that can develop. At the beginning, I felt really I had no, at thir- age 13, I felt I really had no I wasn't much mindful about my relationship with God. But at uh, 60, 70, and 80, I'm much more, much more mindful of a closer walk and relationship with God. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has not been my guide all those intervening years. And, and he, he has been, and I recognize that. And I think maybe that might... I, my feelings, the way I feel, might be very common to a good many other folks. We've had lots of opportunities to, to, to visit with people, to help kind of maybe, you know, encourage and counsel because of what we've been through. Mm-hmm.